Yes, we. Oh, thank you. Turn with your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 30 today. This will be my second message from verses 30 through 33. I've got one more, I believe, if you'll bear with me. At least one more. I'm just covering different parts of this passage from the end of Romans chapter 15. I'll start reading. The title of this message is Fighting Prayer. Fighting Prayer. Starting verse 30. Now I beg you, brothers, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I take the title of this message from verse 30 at the end of the verse where it says that through the love of the Spirit and for the sake of Jesus you would strive together with me in prayers to God. And so we're going to talk most of this message about this striving together in prayers to God. The word striving is a difficult word that we haven't covered much in the New Testament as we've been studying the book of Romans, but it's it's the Greek word agonizo, which gives us our English word to agonize. Uh, there's one problem with that terminology, though. When we think of agonize, we think of something that we don't like. Or we think of something that's uh, really treacherous for us. But the word agonize in the New Testament has more to do with consistency and a constancy of something. And so to agonize uh, means to struggle. It means uh, sometimes it's used to contend with an adversary. Uh, something like uh, you would think of a competition where you would give it all of your energy. You know how I like sports. So you would give it all of your energy in that sport or that play of that game and that would be a striving if you uh, watch nfl football at all you would notice that when they strive really hard on a play that some of those big old boys will go over there and sit down on the bench and they'll put oxygen mask on them you think did he really did he really work that hard that he needs to put on an oxygen mask for a few minutes and I guess he does because he strives really hard for those few seconds. We have the Old Testament story of Jacob striving with the angel of the Lord where he wrestled with God all night and finally the Lord knocks his hip out of socket and that would be a picture of this striving in a, in a sense with God. But the striving here is not having to do with you wrestling with God so much as it is you having to wrestle with yourself with who you are and what you think and what you believe. A great illustration of this kind of striving in prayer would be about Jesus. The night before he went to the cross, you know, some weeks ago I talked to you about Jesus uh, carrying the cross and how historically uh, he wouldn't have carried the whole cross, both logs or both beams of wood, he would have only carried the top beam, which would have been about eight feet long, this top log, and how Jesus on the road uh, to Golgotha, he 
grows weary, it seems, and he drops the log of the cross, and some other human man has to come and pick up that log and carry it for him. And I told you that Jesus was the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he is by no means a weak man. He would have been a very strong, the strongest of all, and he certainly could have carried an eight-foot log to the hill of the cross. And I suggested to you that maybe he was weary not because of the weight of the log, but he was weary because he was going to the cross and carrying the weight of all your filthy sins and all of my sins to the cross. But I have another suggestion today on top of that, why he may have been so weary that day carrying that log to the cross. It may have been because the night before, if you remember, he was in the garden with his disciples, and what did they do all night? But they prayed all night long. And it says that Jesus prayed so much that he sweat tears of blood that night as he prayed, Father, take this cup from me. What was the cup? The cup was him carrying the, the bearing of the weight of your sins on the cross. And he was saying, Father, if it be possible, take this cup away from me. And he prayed all night long, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup away from me. He asked the disciples to pray with him. You remember? Remember what they kept doing? They kept falling asleep. And he'd wake them up and he'd say, pray with me. This, this is a picture of striving in prayer. This praying that Jesus did all night, asking the Father to take that cup from him. Maybe the reason he was so weary he couldn't carry that log to the hill of Golgotha was possibly because he had strove, I'm making that word up, all right? It's past tense from striving. He had strove in the, with the Lord all night long in prayer. You ever stayed up a season in the night in prayer? Heavy burden for somebody, maybe somebody like a child of yours or a spouse of yours, and you literally lay awake all night praying for them. You can begin to get a concept of what this striving in prayer looks like. So when you think of this wrestling in prayer, I don't want you to have in your mind's eye a picture of you uh, taking hold of God and needing to convince God of this thing. I want you to have uh, the thought of you taking hold of your own will and your own passions and your own desires and the, the one you're really wrestling with is yourself. Uh, praying in, in this kind of prayer, this striving prayer, has to do with calling upon God and, and getting to the place in that striving in prayer that you know this, unless God moves, nothing is going to happen. Unless God does something, nothing's going to be done. You cannot do. You cannot do what needs to be done. You know that's a healthy place for you and me to be? You cannot do what needs to be done. And so I want to just talk to you for a minute. We'll leave Romans, our passage in Romans for just a minute and talk to you more about this striving in prayer. I'm going to bring it from several different passages, what that, what that would look like to strive in prayer. First of all, in your notes there, it would be to ask, to ask God. I, I take this from James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, you lust and you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, so that you may spend it on your own Pleasures. He says one of the reasons you don't have answered prayers is because, verse 3, you ask 
amiss. In other words, you miss the mark. You're asking for the wrong things. You have desires, it says, and, and you cannot obtain them because your wants are more about your pleasures than they are the kingdom of God or the will of God. It's that person you know who's always wanting something, never satisfied. Let me just, let me just give you two illustrations There's two, by describing two different kinds of people. There's the kind of person who lives by the pleasure of food. If you know anybody, don't say, oh, me. The pleasure of food is the joy of their life. They can't wait to the next meal, to the next dessert, to the next thing they would eat. Cindy and I were with a couple this past week, and they told us, we give up on watching the weight of our body. We decided eating makes us happy, and we're going to eat as much as we can. I'm like, we can tell. <laughs> they, they have. They give up. Because the pleasure of their life is, is eating. And so it's that person who would eat, but they're never satisfied. Because as soon as they finish eating, they're waiting to eat something else to be satisfied by that. Another illustration would be the person who's always purchasing something. This is a very American thing, if you didn't know that. They buy something, but can't wait till they buy something else. And just as soon as they buy that, They've already got something on their mind. The next thing that they want to buy, they're, they're spending their energies to get something that brings them pleasure. In this case, it's purchasing something new. They lust for it. They want it, but they're never satisfied in their pleasure. Even though they get it, there's no real satisfaction in it once they get it. This would be the kind of person who takes up prayerful religion. You know, in our church, I use religion as a bad word because it's a formality that has nothing to do with the power of God. It would be a person who prays for things so that they can have their own pleasures, their own desires met, but it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God or the things of God. And so this religious prayer would be constantly asking God for things that they want to make them feel better, things they like and desire for their own selves and their own pleasures. If this person has enough patience to actually finally get something and enough talent or power of their own to hold on to what they get, they never really are satisfied by what they have because it was taken only to fulfill their self-pleasures. And so that's wrong asking. That's religious asking. There's another kind of asking mentioned in this passage in James, and it is right asking. He said there in that passage in verse uh, verse 2, he said, You do not have because you do not ask. Why does the natural man, or in this case the spiritual man rather, not try just asking God? God calls upon us and he says, Just ask me. Ask me what I should do for you. Do you know that it's not natural to pray? The lost person, it's not in their nature to pray, though they may pray on occasion. The kind of prayer we're talking about here is not of the natural man, it is of the spiritual man, and it is to come before the living God, knowing that he is the owner and controller of all things, and to, to in some sense, physically fall on your knees before him, but at least spiritually come bowed before him, declaring, I need your help, God. 
I need you to do something. I'm asking you to do something and to have that kind of confidence in the living God. This is a very small demand that God makes of you. He says, ask me. Just ask. This asking has to do with knowing God. It has to do with you walking with God and experiencing God and, and standing before God. Let me give you some passages that back up this asking. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. John 16, 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. Psalms chapter 2, verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. We must ask God for it. You know that there are some things in the church that we can have and we can be and never pray one word. Churches do it all the time. Churches build mighty buildings and have mighty structures and have never prayed one prayer about it. Churches purchase musical equipment and build elaborate stages and never pray one thing about it. Churches can contrive in their services orchestrated details of their service to manipulate the emotions of the congregation or cause them to be stirred in a certain way and never have prayed and asked God for one thing. There are lots of clever ministers and business-run churches that operate more in the, the mindset of a modern-day American business or institution than in the church of the living God. And we need to be the kind of church that doesn't operate out of the wisdom of men, but out of the Spirit of God, who would know that nothing will happen in our service lest God do it. Nothing can be changed in our church. Remember, the church is not the building. It is the people. It is you and your family and your children and your spouse. And nothing will be changed in your family unless God come down from heaven into your home and make a drastic change that only he can make. And that kind of change comes by prayer. It comes by asking God and saying, God, would you do something in my marriage? God, would you do something with my children? God, would you do something in my family and make heaven come down in my home and do a work? I ask you to ask. God says if you're going to strive with him in prayer, the thing that you would do is you would ask God to do what only God can do. I quoted to you last week, Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. Let me read it to you again. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? Or if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it? And so I'm calling upon you, church, to strive with me together in prayer that the Lord God would give his Holy Spirit to our church. That the Lord God would send his Spirit to our church. I would say to you today, if you're here and you say, say I'm, 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 right now my marriage is going pretty good, then I'd say praise God for you. 
Now, there's some that aren't. Some in our church that aren't. And so I'd ask you to pray that the Spirit of God would come down and work in our marriages. There's nothing more under the attack of the enemy today than the marriage of the Christian family. If you would call upon God and strive, I'm, I'm, I'm stressing that, think of exertion of energy, think of weeping, think of praying sometimes in the middle of the night, and sometimes praying constantly and striving with God for the marriages of our church. I wish I had me somebody today that would sit here today and say to the Lord God in their own heart, God, from this day forward, I will strive in the prayers of the merit for the marriages of this church. And not just the marriages that are here today and listening today, but what about those marriages that are to come for your children? For your children, I've got four of them. I've been praying for their spouses for more than 20 years now. I pray frequently for their spouses. I ask God to save them two boys. Save them two girls, because i got two boys and two girls. I ask God to protect them. Sometimes throughout the course of these last 20 years, I'll awaken in the night, and I'll be burdened for the young man that's to marry one of my daughters, and I'll say, Lord, I believe he's in danger tonight. Would you protect him? Sometimes in the last 20 years, I'll be awakened in the night and pray for the, the ladies that are going to marry my two sons and say, Lord, I believe they're in danger tonight. Would you pray for them? I'm asking you, fathers and mothers, to strive with me in prayer for the spouses, the future spouses of your children, and ask God to save them and help them to love him more than anything in the world before he loves your son or your daughter. Will you strive with me in prayer by asking God? The other part the scripture teaches us about this striving in prayer is the repetition of it. This seems odd to us, this repetition part. Let me give you a passage of scripture here, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many loaves of bread as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be open. It'd be like if old Eric here, my buddy. Eric had donuts today. If you didn't go back there, boy, you're missing out. When Eric does donuts, he does the finest donuts. Krispy Kremes, fresh. And he got them this morning, did he? I know he did. He got them this morning. And not only did he get them fresh this morning, there's a whole pile of them back there. There's, there's more than we can eat back there. And usually... Eric takes home a box or two, and I'll see him on his way out. If you catch him at the right time, he'll slip you a box sometimes. He's done it to my, to my daughter Maggie more than once because he knows how she loves those donuts. But it's just imagine with me, I show up at Eric's house tonight because I see him walk out with three or four extra boxes of donuts, and I'm banging on Eric's door. 
Give me a donut, Eric. I need a donut. This is not unlikely to happen. <laughs> Give me a donut, Eric. I need a donut. And he says, John, go away. I'm in bed. Leave me alone. And I bang on his door from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. And he's sick of hearing me whining like a girl outside his door. <laughs> give me a donut, give me a donut. Why would he not finally get up and say, fine, take two dozen if you want. You can have them. That's what God's saying to us. He's saying, just keep asking. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and it'll be opened to you. Think of this, if you will, with me, men, for just a moment. If it's not to be spent on your pleasures, and it's a godly thing, like you're asking God, give my little son a precious, saved, godly wife one day. And that's a godly thing, by the way. That's a kingdom thing, by the way. If you're asking God such a thing as that, and you've asked him that for 20 more years, 20 years from today, since they were 3 or 4 years of age, and God's finally one day going to say to you, Fine! Here! Here's the best one I can find. She's godly from the core. And she loves me more than any woman in your town. Here, you can have her for your own son. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing? I want to suggest to you today, that's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we serve. And he says, by faith, call upon him with repetition. That word in there, it said in, in that verse in Luke, it said persistence. Do you say that that word? Some of your versions, if you have the King James, it says importunity. That's a word we're not familiar with anymore. But what it means is a continual, constant asking. i uh, give you an illustration of this. We go to the Old Testament temple. In the Old Testament temple, they had the burning of incense. You remember that? And uh, the Bible says that in the temple of the Old Testament, those incense would, would burn and they would send this sweet savor of smell into the nostrils of God. From Exodus chapter 30, verse 7 and 8, let me read you about those burning incense. It says, Aaron shall burn on the altar sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps, and he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at night, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout all generations. Those incense in the Old Testament temple represented the prayers of the people. The prayers of the people that were constantly being lifted up to God in heaven. And if you notice there, it says he'll light them every morning, and then he'll light them every night. What does that mean? They were to burn 24 hours a day in the Old Testament house of God. They were to continually be burning throughout, it says, throughout their generations. So for day and night in the house of God, these prayers were to be lifted up generation after generation. We are to have these, these prayers going up into heaven to the Lord. And for you, men and women, that represents a constant praying. A, a Bible in one place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says... To pray without ceasing. If you ever read that verse, it means a, a, const, a constancy of praying, a repetitious praying. It's not the size of the need, it's not the cause of the need, it's not your credentials when you ask, it's just your continual asking, your continual praying. It is this persistence throughout the day. 
I, now I want to draw a line here between two things. I, I don't want you to think of this like being a beggar. Don't think of this like being a beggar. A beggar is somebody who asks for something hoping occasionally they'll get something. I'm not talking about a beggar. A beggar asks somebody he don't know and he doesn't know their resources. You're not a beggar. You're just a continual prayer. You notice in the illustration in Luke chapter 11, the man who's asking for the loaves of bread, he knew the bread was in there. If I come to Eric's house asking for the donuts, I know the donuts are in there. And so it's not like a beggar who's just hoping by some chance God would give it to him. It's different than that. It's a persistence, a repetition, a repetitious prayer because you know what God has in his hands. You know what God has to give. You know what kind of God he is and what kind of things he gives out. And so you're praying without ceasing, continually praying, not as a beggar, but as a person of faith. That's the last part of persistent prayer, of striving in prayer, is to, to do so with faith. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So when you're asking God, you're not a beggar, you know what he has in his house and in his hands. He is able to do, look at, look at this now, exceedingly abundantly above all that you would ask him or even think. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm praying, I'll ask for something, but in my mind, I'm thinking even bigger. Are you like that? And, and so in the last few years of my life, I've tried to call out my thoughts. Because God knows what you're thinking anyway, and so I've tried to make my thoughts a part of the asking. And let me go back to the illustration of asking for a, a, a young man for one of your daughters. I, I, I might pray, Lord, give my daughter a good husband. And I might think, not just good, but godly. Loves the Lord. Loves the Word of God. Loves the things of God. And so to, to think and then ask on those thoughts. But the, the verse here in Ephesians 3.20 says, God does exceedingly, abundantly, even above what you would ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And so what is this power that's working in us? You're praying now. You're striving with God in prayer, and it's not to coerce God. Remember what we said at the beginning of this. The striving is not against God, but it's against yourself. It's to get you to the place where you know what needs to be done here. You cannot do it. You cannot answer the thing you're asking for. Only God can do it. And this thing is freely given by God. In other words, you don't earn it. If you had to earn what you prayed for, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't get many answers because we don't earn it. It's, it's given to us by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. People in the church are always looking for formulas, always looking for methodologies. There's one method God gives. He says, ask, ask repeatedly, 
and believe him for it. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. Notice the word confidence. This is the confidence that we have in God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked for. In other words, we know that he's going to answer them. We have confidence in God if we're asking this according to his will. He hears us, and we're going to get what we've asked for. I'll give you an example of that. Sometimes you've prayed to God for something, and he answers you right then. He says, okay. And in your heart, you know he said, okay. You know he said he's going to give you that. And maybe years go by, but you're still sure. You're still certain he's going to give you that. You had any, anybody had anything like that? And then finally one day he does, and you find yourself praising him for what he's giving you. It's this awareness that God can give you what you ask for. It's to believe him. The Bible says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, that's about the size of a, a big grain of pepper, if you didn't know that. If you have that kind of faith, you can say that this mountain will be moved from here to there. It's not the amount of faith you have. He doesn't say have more faith. He says have more faith in God. It's the faith in God that you have. The size of your God. And so I, I would encourage you, when you're praying for something, believe God for it. And sometimes in that striving time, you're wrestling, let's say through the night, striving in prayer. <laughs> What's happening is the more you call upon God for it and you testify of the goodness of God in your prayer and you testify of how God answered past prayers while you're praying. You ever do that? You're praying and you're saying, Lord, I know you answered this last week and I know you answered this, carried me through this last year. What's happening in there is, is God's building your faith. You're striving in prayer and while you're striving in prayer, God's making your faith stronger so that when you get up from that prayer finally, Get up from your knees finally. You believe God's going to answer the thing you just constantly prayed for him to do. It's a beautiful thing. I, I ask that we strive together. Look at what it says. and Go back to your passage. Romans 15 verse 30. That you strive together with me in prayers to God. Strive together with with me in prayers to God. I'm asking you as a church, every man and woman who's here, every young boy and young girl who's here, will you strive together with me in prayers to God for this church? Now, what does that mean? That means every family here for this church. It's the people. Every person who would come into here Will you strive together with me? I've always been a person who's believed in prayer and who's been a prayer person. Let me just say to you, if somebody asks you to pray for them and they don't pray for themselves, they're a hypocrite. Right? You pray for me. They won't pray for themselves. They're a hypocrite. If I would ask you to pray for our church and I wouldn't pray for our church, I'd be a hypocrite. This year, God moved upon my heart to up my prayer game and strive even harder for you in the faith in my prayers. I now go through a list of your names. Not just your family names, but your children's names. I have 
all your children's names, and I pray for them. And I ask God to do great things in their lives that I know would fall within the categories of His will and His kingdom. And I'm asking you today, I'm, I'm bringing this out of Scripture, and it's hard for me to do because uh, I try not to bring myself up much because uh, that's just the way I want to be. But, but I'm, I'm going to do what Paul does here, and I'm bringing this out of Scripture, and I'm saying, pray with me, strive with me in prayer for this church. That, that's an invitation to you today, that you would commit in your heart I'm going to strive in prayer for this church. Look at verse 30 again. Strive together with me in prayers to God. And then he says, for me. Paul says, when you're striving together with me in prayers, I want you to pray for me. Look what he says in verse 31. He says that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. In other words, that I'll be protected. Verse 31. He said, pray for me that when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be protected. Now, Paul had reason to pray for that. I mean, he was beaten. He was imprisoned. He, he was chased out of town many times. And he needed prayers for protection. I'm, I'm, so I'm asking you, out of Scripture, I'm, I'm, I, John, I'm asking you to pray for my protection. I, I do need it. I don't need it as much as I did at another church I used to be at <laughs> because my life was at risk there. I knew it. I think you love me a little more, I, I believe, so far. So, uh, But I still need protection. I'm asking you to pray for my protection. It goes on in verse 31. Look with me. I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And so he says, then I, when I go to this other church, I'll be successful in ministry. For pray, pray for me, Paul says, that I'll be successful in ministry. I asked you to do that for me this past week. I had a funeral here in town for, for a town person who I did not know, who died tragically, who didn't go to church, didn't live for the Lord. And I ask you, I gave you a time on Tuesday at 11, please pray for me. And you did. Many of you texted me and called me and told me today that you did. And I knew you did without you ever telling me. If you, you know, I didn't try to be a preacher. I didn't set out to be a preacher, and I don't want to be a preacher. But I'm a preacher, and I, I'm just normal, just like you. I'm probably worse than you. And then God made me a preacher. And, and, and then to say... Go do this. Like preach that funeral. I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. I'm not good enough to do that. But then when you pray for me and God works through me, it's like it's like I'm a spectator there and I'm I get to watch. I'm like, oh yeah, you guys prayed for that guy today. You did. You prayed for him. And look what a difference it's made in his in his preaching today. My success in ministry is dependent on you. I've, I've read to you often and before 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when Paul said this, I come to you brothers, I come to you not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. You know that about me. I'm not real bright and I don't talk real good because I say things like right and white 
And I can't change that. That's who I am. And so when I when I preach, that's just the same. I'm not coming with excellency of speech or wisdom. He says, For I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I'm with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. If you don't know that about me, that's true. I preach in weakness, I preach in fear, I preach in much trembling. I never sleep good on Saturday night. If you don't know that about me, I don't like to do things on Saturday night. I don't like to go places on Saturday night. I had to go somewhere last night, uh, last yesterday evening. I don't like that. Why? Because I'm trembling and weak and afraid. Why? Because Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming and church is coming and somebody's got to preach. <laughs> and I know him. <laughs> and he's not ready. And he's not prepared. And he don't even know what he's going to say. He goes on, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And Paul knows this. And Paul's saying in Romans, pray for me for this, that I be successful in ministry. Paul is so aware that his success in ministry depends on the prayers of the people that he begs them. He's not begging God. He begs them to persistently pray to God for him that he'd be successful in ministry. If I could say it this way. No, no ministerial success is due to that minister. It's due to the church that's praying for him. You could say it this way. The success of your preacher is dependent on you. I'm a product of your prayers or the lack of your prayers. If you go home this afternoon and you say, boy, that John, he blew it today. You've got to take some accountability in that. You must not pray today for me. You must not ask God to speak to you when you came in. You must not ask God to send his spirit into our service when you came in. You must not ask God to stir the lost when you came in. Now, I could go on and on for a long time. I often think about my own ministry and the success or lack of success in my ministry. You say, do you want to be successful in ministry? You better believe I do. Do you think I can try harder, do more, be better to get that? I don't think so. I think it's dependent on your prayers. I think you've proved that to me in this last year when my wife has had cancer. You prayed abundantly for her because you love her. Well, I'm glad you do love her because you love her. You prayed for her. And, and some of that spilled over on me just by accident, I think. <laughs> just spilled over on me. You're praying, Lord, help city. Oh, yeah, John cares. I mean, you just kind of threw me in on the wayside. You know, just, oh, and him too. I'm afraid. As my wife has been healed and we give all the glory to God, I'm afraid that in the years to come, I will long for this past year when you prayed for us and say, Lord, would you move like that in my heart again? those prayers that, that cause that minister to be successful. If you study the Bible and you see those that God used mightily, do you notice in almost every case they were a failure before God used them? Or they did nothing before God used them? Let me just use Moses as an example. Moses stood out there in the desert tending sheep for 40 years so he could go on and lead the children of Israel for 40 years. Tending sheep is a thankless job, a do-nothing do job that anybody can do, right? Any old body can do it. And God used Moses out there to teach Moses how useless he was, really. 
He's standing there before God, and he says, God, I cannot go lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. I can't even speak. And I've heard whole messages on that about how Moses should have had more confidence in his ability to speak. I'm telling you the reason God chose him is because Moses, not just because he couldn't speak, but because Moses knew he couldn't speak. So that when God did speak through him, Moses wouldn't take any of the credit for it. And if you say, John, your ministry to this point doesn't look hugely successful, doesn't look like you've done very much, I would say to you that the God, the God that I serve, if he hasn't let me do very much to this point, it's for a reason so that I would learn I can't do anything unless he does it. So that in the latter years of my life, if God does something mighty and powerful to the glory of his name, I'll stand as a spectator and say, I know that wasn't because of me. That was all because of you. Because for a man to be used mightily in the ministry for God, he's got to get to the place where he knows he can do nothing unless God does it. It won't be done so that when God does do it, that sorry rascal of a man won't try to take any credit for what God Almighty has shown up and done. Amen. And I pray that that be the way that I would live. That, that you would pray with me to be successful in ministry. And then he says in the end of verse 32, that I may serve with joy in the will of God. Verse 32, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. He wants to know that he's serving in the will of God. That's what we all want, isn't it? To serve God in the will of God. To serve in the, in the place where God wants you, doing what God wants you to do, being who God wants you to be in the will of God. Let me say to you today, if you sit in there and in your occupation, whatever it may be, you could, you could lift your hand up and say, by the grace of God, I believe I'm doing what God has called me to do. If you're digging ditches, putting in electric wire, whatever you're doing, if you can say, I believe I'm doing what God wanted me to do, and, and by the grace of God, I, I, I'm where God wants me to be, that is a high-handed praise, if you don't know that. There's many who will search their whole life and never find that place I just described, where they know they're in the will of God, Finding God's will for their life. But he doesn't just say in the will of God in verse 32. Look at it. That I may. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 32. That I may know but come to you with joy by the will of God. Notice the joy of it. There's a lot of people who claim to be in the will of God and they don't have joy. Let me just talk about myself again just for a minute. I don't like to, but I need to today. I always tell you, I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't set out to be a preacher. I didn't try to be a preacher. God made me be a preacher. And that's the truth. But I don't, by my constant repeating of that, I don't want you to think that I don't have joy being in the will of God, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I take it as a great honor and grace of God that he would let me preach. And, and I enjoy you. I enjoy this church. I testified this week of what a, what a grand and glorious church this church is. And by the grace of God, he let me be your pastor. And I rejoice in that. I have joy in that. If God ever called me to another church somewhere else, I'd be miserable and probably quit. Because it wouldn't be as good as you. I, I want you to know there's joy in serving God 
in the will of God. And if you found the will of God, if you know you found the will of God, the thing the enemy then wants to do is, is rob you of the joy of that and make you dread it and make you hate it. You precious moms, motherhood is one of the hardest things on the planet Earth. And some of the men said, amen. You better say amen, she'll make you do it. Said amen. You remember that day when that baby was born, all the joy you knew. And how the devil wants to rob you of that joy and make you make you dread and despise and grow weary of, of the thing he's called you to do. The thing he's called you to be. You can't let that happen. Paul says, pray for me that I can serve the Lord in the will of God with joy while I'm doing it. You, you, can, you can get that way about coming to church. You know that? I don't think you are here, but there are at some churches. I was with a Christian man this week. Then I went to see my wife right after. I said, honey, that man's miserable. He says, just damn. For God's sake, if you're saved, don't be so damn all the time. Be, have some joy in the Lord. If you're serving the Lord and you live for the King, have some joy in it. Or, or just... Don't come around me very much. <laughs> that, this guy was just, bless his heart, he was down, discouraged, beaten down, and downtrodden. You can come to church like that. You hear my brothers next door getting all stirred up, they stirred me up. <laughs> we can learn some things. Do you know I can tell how happy you are about coming to church by talking to your children? you know that? Your children will tell it in a minute. Mom and Dave won't come today. We can't. <laughs> your children are a reflection. Their little hearts are a reflection of your desires. If you can't wait to get up and worship God, they can't wait to get up and worship God. Please pray for me. I know you did this week, and I thank you for it with all sincerity. I thank you for it. But I want us all to get to, to, get to this together, to strive together in prayer that God would move in our church. I want you to get hold of that. That's the difference that'll, That's the difference in our church. You know that? The move of the Spirit. The, the wind goes where it wishes. Any, any man who would ask for the Spirit of God, he says, I, I'm better than you fathers. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give that move. Our town is hurting. Our community needs a church that will stand for the Lord. Our community needs a church that will shine the light of Jesus in this town. We can be that church. You say, how, how does that happen? Draw us up a plan. Give us a detailed plan of how we do that. I'm going to give it to you. Pray. That's it. Pray. If you'll start praying, striving together with us, and, and praying, and, and, and a couple of you men, a couple of you ladies, to start praying for God to move in our church, God will move, and it'll spread. And it'll spread to other families, and, and God will move. I believe the 
together for a season that is to come. You say, what's the holdup? The holdup is our prayers or lack of. We, we are just been placed in this building by the grace of God. We didn't seek it. God put us here. You know this? We have a huge area back there that we're eventually going to get fixed and able to move into. But you know what? We don't need it right now, really, do we? We've got enough room right here. What's going to cause us to need all that space back there is when we pray and God does something we can't do and God moves in a way we can't move. We don't need better facilities. We don't need better singers. And you don't even need a better preacher. All we need is to pray, to strive together in prayer and ask God to use us the way he created us to be used for his glory. And as, as we strive in prayer, asking him in faith, he will do what only he can do, and he'll get all the glory for it. Not me, not you, not, not some building, not something. Jesus Christ, the Lamb, of, the Lamb that was slain for your sins, will get all the glory. That's what we need. That's what I'm asking you to do, to strive with me in prayer. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'd ask you to actually think to yourself right now a commitment if you do that. Lord, I want to, would you, would you make this your prayer? Lord, I want to strive together with this church in prayer for you to do a mighty work in our town through our church. If you can do that, honestly, would you, would you make that your prayer right now? Lord, I strive together with this church in prayer to ask you to do a mighty work in our church that people would be saved, lives would be changed, and you would use us to touch this town for the glory of God. <clears throat> Father, we give you Lighthouse Church, who is yours. We lay her at your feet. And we pray together, join with me now, we pray together, Lord, that you would anoint this place, these people, with your spirit. Anoint our families with your spirit. Men and women, as they go into the community, into the workplaces, that you would anoint them with your spirit to, to speak of the glory of God in their own lives. Father, would you use our children to speak of the glory of God? Father, would you anoint our services with your spirit? That from the moment people walk in the door to be a part of a service here, a worship service, they would know, surely the Lord is in this place. Yeah. The Lord is working. And the Lord is moving there. I want to I get involved in that because that's where God's moving and God's working. Lord, would you do that in our church? Lord, would you anoint our music? In particular, Lord, the words we sing. Would you help our leaders to pick good songs so that when we sing these words, we are, we are praying to you and we are worshiping you with spirit and truth the glory of God. Would you pray with this for me today also? Lord, would you anoint our preaching that takes place in this church, that the word of God would come strong 
in spirit and in truth. And that surely we would know the Lord is speaking and not man. Father, we give you glory for all that you've done in the past for this church. And we praise you for what you're going to do in the days ahead. But we are coming to you today, striving with you in prayer, Lord. Believing in prayer, Lord, that you would do a mighty work. More than we've ever seen before. More than we've ever prayed for before. More than we've ever asked or thought before. Abundantly, exceedingly above all that we would even pray today, Lord. You do even more than that for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Father, we pray for the children that are here. We've got so many of them. We praise you for all these children, Lord. We pray that you would save them at the day of their salvation. That they would be young men and women that would grow to love you and serve you their, their whole life. Mm -hmm. Lord, send more children, mm -hmm. more young people. I, Father, I keep talking to church leaders who say our church is full of old people. we got no young people. Father, praise God you've sent us all these children. Lord, save them, we pray, and use them to build your kingdom in the days ahead. Let them serve you all the days of their life. Let them learn things here in this church that would honor you and, and make you the stability of their lives yeah. for the glory of God. Yeah. Father, we pray together. We join together. We're striving together for the marriages of this church, Lord. Protect them. Watch over them. Help them to thrive. Help men to be better men and women to be better women for the glory of God and to yeah. love their spouse genuinely and faithfully with freshness, Lord, newness, Lord. Father, we lay all these things at your feet and we strive together today, but not that today is the end of this prayer, but we will continue to pray this prayer throughout this week and in the weeks to come that we would have a continual incense lifting up of prayers to you, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, just to culminate the striving of this prayer that we have today, I pray, Lord, as we sing this last song, join with me now, everybody praying, Lord, as we sing this last song, would you fill this place with the Spirit of God? Yeah. And let us worship you when we sing this last song. Yeah. And when we leave each other today, let us worship you to the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're just